uh, in the Christian calendar, Easter is not just a singular event or even just one weekend. Uh, it actually stretches over a few months. And so today in the Christian calendar is what we would call the second Sunday of Easter. And it's actually one of seven Sundays in the lead up to what we call Pentecost. Um, so there are two readings from the second Sunday of Easter that I just want to share with you quickly. And the first comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, and it says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the first passage. The second passage, which is a lot shorter, is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. And uh, it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So these at least kind of in my reading, are two pretty remarkable passages about the resurrection or post-resurrection and kind of how it sort of impacted and then played out in the early church. And I've always found the passage from John to be kind of pretty curious and not because of doubting Thomas. I think Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap. I think... You know, the reality is, is that Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene. He'd appeared to the other disciples and Thomas kind of missed out on that experience. I don't know where he was. He was out fishing or doing something. But it's kind of only fair, I reckon, that he should want some proof and he wants proof. But kind of what I find, I think, most curious about that passage is that resurrected Jesus still has wounds. It's kind of weird to me, you know. What we know from Scripture is that Jesus is visibly changed. Mary doesn't recognise him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. So, so something is different about Jesus 
post-resurrection. The, the two disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus that Jesus appears to and walks with don't actually recognise him until they kind of sit down and break bread together. And so, as such, it, it seems to be a reasonable deduction that Jesus looks quite different. He's not immediately recognisable. But one thing about him has definitely remained the same. The the wounds that were inflicted on him by his executioners. Why? Uh, Why is this important? Why does it matter? Uh, A few weeks ago, Dion uh, talked about the visible image of the invisible God and how uh, if we want to know what God is like, then we need only look to Jesus. The resurrected body of Jesus, the the visible image of the invisible God, has wounds and scars. Think about that for a moment. The resurrected body of the visible image of the invisible God has wounds and scars. Now, at some point in the Christian tradition and in doctrine and in history, we, we kind of decided and this is probably more the evangelical side than the orthodox side, but we, we kind of decided that, that our bodies are not that important. We decided that the world's not that important. We decided that the status of our neighbours uh, and the material lives of our neighbours is not that important. We decided that what's important is making sure that our souls make it into heaven. And this has kind of radically shaped the role and the relevance of the church in the world. And, and I see it very much tied to... Uh, the declining validity and the declining credibility of the church in Western society that we've kind of tied everything to getting people to heaven when they die. And it's kind of this declining credibility is very much our own doing because most people don't think of God as someone that we can touch with our hands. Most people don't think of God as someone who has wounds that we can touch. But these scriptures kind of shout in the other direction. Jesus was not a disembodied spirit floating among them. He, he was a tangible being. He had wounds that were still present. And he was a tangible being that says, put your finger here, put, put it in my side, look at my hands, reach out, uh, believe. And they did as a consequence. And what we read in the early uh, church in the book of Acts is that their belief formed this community of people that were unified. They were of one heart and mind, the writer of Acts says, such that there were no needy persons among them. I don't know how they defined no needy persons among them. I was listening to um, Adam and... Uh, and Mandy talking about, you know, defining people's progress through um, uh, tracking, you know, how they're going from, and they're talking about you know, sort of codifying it from minus three to three and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know where they would have sat on the spectrum of minus three to three, um, but no needy persons among them. Like I read that and I go, it's got to be a trick. Like, you know, think about that for a moment. There was a community of people who had no needy persons There was no one in their community whose needs weren't met. That's kind of crazy stuff. And so this has to be either someone's limited reading of what was going on or kind of the manifestation of the kingdom of God, the manifestation of earth 
uh, of heaven on earth and kind of where heaven and earth combine. Uh, there's a theologian by the name of Dr. Maria uh, Pilar Aquino, and, and she writes that the liberation brought by Christ's resurrection destroys dichotomies. She states that Jesus' liberation does not support a split between the personal and the social, the private and the public, the transcendent and the historical men and women above and below. Rather, that the liberation wrought from the resurrection means that we who believe in it are called to reach out, to reach out and to touch the wounds of Jesus in the world. She posits that, that our role is to repair inequalities, that it's to repair inequalities in, in every single aspect of human relationship, to, to build community, to, to bring healing where oppression and exclusion exist. There is no doubt that the wounds of the world are real. You, you know, we don't have to look too far. The, the reason that this cafe exists is because the wounds of the world are real. We, we see people... Uh, dealing with all sorts of life circumstances, uh, from homelessness to addiction to incarceration. Uh, we look further afield and we see people fleeing war and torture and trauma, uh, incidences of, of domestic violence and uh, still great incidences of gender inequality and exclusion and oppression of kind of anyone who's deemed to be different or them or the other. But here in this scripture, we see a resurrected Christ, the visible image of the invisible God, who bears wounds too. And I love that. I love that in the resurrection there is this sense of what we would call imperfection. And I find in this so-called imperfection kind of another reason to, to reach out to and kind of hold on to and love Jesus all the more. This, this, is, this is not a God who is unable to relate. This is not a God who is unable to relate to pain and the fragility of humanity. This is, this is a God who bears the marks of humanity. And I find that to be kind of truly profound and truly beautiful. The resurrection for me kind of brings everything and everyone together for the common good. You know, and when I look at the wounds of a resurrected Christ and I think of the wounds of the world, you know, I think of stuff like cancer. Cancer is crap. It's crap. And, and, and abuse of children is intolerable. And, and homes being bombed and families torn apart is absolutely horrific and people fleeing for their lives and then locked up on some island prison for political gain is just completely inexcusable. But what I read and what I see in this scripture is that the wounds of a resurrected Christ communicate for me that God is in this mess with us. The wounds of a resurrected Christ don't direct me to kind of ignore the wounds around me. They don't even ask of me to explain the wounds away. They don't ask me to offer platitudes and, and kind of meaningless thoughts and prayers kind of sentiments. The wounds of a resurrected Christ communicate to me that our role, our role as, as Christians, is first and foremost to understand the significance of the wounds, to touch the wounds metaphorically, to kind of empathise, to, to walk in someone else's shoes. But then, 
as a community to work collectively to heal those wounds, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, with, with whatever capacity that we have. And so that's my prayer. That's my prayer for this week, that, that we would be a people who understand the significance of the wounds of a resurrected Christ, that we would be a people that would genuinely try and grapple with and work together to bring healing and restoration and belonging to all people. Amen. Amen.